invite you at this time to uh, turn in your pew Bibles to page 44, where we find our scripture reading this morning, Genesis chapter 29, the first 30 verses. Genesis chapter 29, the first 30 verses. And now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the field with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, Is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, You are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. But Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for for you seven years in return for your youngest daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave a servant girl, Zilpah, to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? What have you, why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. 
Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. Let's follow the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Um, not too long ago, uh, a pretty popular meatloaf song came back into popularity because it was used in a commercial. I think it was Dr. Pepper, maybe, or Skittles. I don't know. But essentially, the whole premise of the commercial was this guy was deeply in love with this woman. And the song, of course, goes, I would do anything for love. Anything you've been thinking of, I would do anything for love. And then as soon as she reaches to take his Dr. Pepper, but I won't do that. And he grabs his Dr. Pepper and he runs out the door as the song is playing. Of course, that song is interesting because the whole song says, I would do anything for love. But it never tells you exactly what the thing is that they won't do for love. Well, Jacob, he has this same thing. He would do anything for love. And, and this story tells us a lot about what he would do for love, including uh, working for his uncle seven years. Well, 14, if you include the extra seven that got added on. Our theme of this passage has a lot to do with, um, with love, but it also has a lot to do with with life, the school of life, how it teaches us about things. When, we, um, when we're called in the scriptures to honor those with gray hair, a lot of it has to do with the fact that they've experienced life. They've gone through many different things, many different hardships. And because of that, they are smarter. Smarter about how life operates, what life is like what things we should look out for. And that's exactly what Jacob is learning in this season of his life. He's learning that God uses hardship in our lives to teach us to rely more on his grace. And God uses hardships in our life to teach us to rely more on his grace. We have a couple points this morning, three to be exact, which is more than a couple, sorry. The first is love at first sight. Of course, we learn in the first 20 verses that Jacob is enamored um, with his wife-to-be, Rachel. Um, if there is a, a, a love story in the scriptures, this would be it, right? Um, there isn't a lot of details given about Isaac and Rebekah's uh, love. There isn't a lot of details given about uh, Abraham and Sarah's love um, as much as we see about them. But here we get a little bit more about um, Jacob's love. For, for Rachel. Um, the second is uh, this life lesson. The deceiver, Jacob, who has been the one deceiving his brother, deceiving his father, all the way up until this point in his narrative, he's the one that gets deceived in this story. Um, what goes around comes around. You know, we don't, we don't believe in karma, but this is karma. <laughs> right? And there's a reason why this happens in Jacob's life, there's a reason why God is doing this. It's to teach him. So our third point is growing in grace. So let's look at that first point, love at first sight. 
We read after Jacob leaves Bethel, after he leaves that place of vision, sort of fast forward. You could say if this was a movie, this would be a montage of traveling, right, through the desert with uh, Arabian-type music. And, and Jacob all of a sudden arrives in the land of the people of the east, and he stumbles across the well. And if you are familiar with the story of Genesis, you should be familiar this, this sounds familiar because this is much like Abraham's servant going to find Isaac's wife, Rebecca, right? Abraham's servant comes to a well where they're feeding, or they're, they're uh, um, watering the livestock, right? Um, and he says a prayer. So Jacob, he comes to a well as also. And there at this well, he sees some shepherds, some youths who are there waiting to uh, water the, the flocks from the well. And we don't really know why they're waiting. We, we hear that there's a stone over this well. And they're all waiting for all the sheep to get there. Well, we find out later it's because they're waiting for uh, Rachel to get there, who's a shepherdess. Rachel is coming with the sheep. And once all the sheep are there, then they'll water them all together. And so Jacob asked the shepherds, where are you from? Well, we're from Haran. Well, that's good because that's where I'm going. That's where I'm, uh, that's where I'm heading to. Do you know Laban? You're from this place. Do you know Laban? He's from Haran as well. Uh, and they say, yes, we know him. And the Jacob asks, is he well? Is he alive? Is he there still? Does he, does he still live there? And they said, yes, he is. In fact, here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. How providential. How providential to arrange this encounter, right? What I find funny about verse 7, though, look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to the pasture. This, to me, sounds like Jacob... Um, you know, like if you're dating um, uh, a girl that has younger siblings and you want to be alone with the girl, so you're trying to get rid of the younger siblings, hey, here's a quarter. Go down to the gumball machine and get a gumball, okay? Well, you know, I want to have a moment alone to talk to your sister. I want to have a moment alone here. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get rid of these guys. He sees this beautiful woman come, and he's like, hey, listen, skedaddle, scoot, okay? I want to have this moment. But they're like, we can't do that. We can't go anywhere until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we'll water the sheep. We'll all do it together. So this must have been their common practices that they would all wait for each other and then they would all water the sheep at the same time. And so Jacob is saying, well, if I can't have this smooth moment with Rachel where it's just her and I, I've got another way I can impress her. And it's the same way guys try to impress girls today. You know, when, if you've ever been in a place where they have all, all the fold-out chairs, right? And then after the chapel service is over, you have to put all the fold-out chairs back up. And so what do guys do who want to impress girls? They pick up as many fold, foldable chairs as they possibly can. And they're like, look how many foldable chairs I can put back up. Or the married version of that is... Check how many groceries I can bring in on one trip. Look at this. All of them, grocery bags, all the way. This. So this is what Jacob does. He's like, okay. So if I can't impress her to have this little smooth moment to talk with her by myself, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to beat these little kids to removing this stone from the well, and I'm going to water all these sheep myself. I'm going to be like, see, check it out. Not too bad, right? So that's what he does. He's like, I'm going to impress this woman. Um, I'm going to roll the stone away by myself. I'm going to uh, water all the sheep by myself. And then this is, 
This is the part where um, maybe our modern sensitivities go, that's a really bold move. But he goes up to, to, to Rachel and he kisses her. But it's more just a, a greeting. It's like you would see in, in Europe some places today. Well, they probably don't do it anymore because of COVID, but, you know, they used to, you know, smooch, smooch. This is Jacob just going up and saying, you're who I've been looking for. Kiss, weep. God has brought me to this place. What did Jacob say? If God will watch over me, if God will protect me, if God will lead me to where I'm going, if God will watch over me, this is what, this is what he's doing. God is doing it. And Jacob is seeing the fruits of that. And so he told Rachel that he was a relative of her father, a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. And as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, hurried to meet him, embraced him, kissed him, brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. And Laban said, my own flesh and blood, hang out here. And so the next thing that we learn is that Jacob's been there for about a month. And it seems that Jacob has been sort of working on the farm, right? Um, when you work on the farm, you gotta, you got you to gotta work your keep. If you're going to sleep there, if you're going to be fed there, then you gotta, you got to do some of the shepherding. you got to do some of the livestock work, right? If anybody that is here this morning grew up on a farm, that's, you know that, okay? You, you, if you don't know that if you go to a farm, you're going to get woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning to go milk the cows, then you don't know what it's like to be on a farm, okay? Because that's what you got to do. But you know that after you get done milking the cows, there'll be a really good breakfast ready and waiting for you with some strong coffee, okay? Um, so that's what Jacob's been doing. But Laban, he, he wants to see, he wants Jacob to think he's a good guy. And so he says, listen, you can't just work for me for nothing. What do you want? What do you want to get paid? And, and Jacob, this is when he finally has the moment to express what he wants. What he's wanted since the moment that he saw Rachel the shepherdess coming up to that well. Listen, I don't want Leah, weak eyes, Leah. Sorry, Leah, you're here this morning. But Rachel, she's lovely in form. She's beautiful. In verse 18 says, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, there's always that debate. Is it personality? Is it looks? And everybody likes to talk about personality, looks. And, and to be honest with you, sometimes you feel like you can't say looks without sounding like a very shallow person who is just very surface level. Um, but the truth of the matter is, God created us as physical beings and initially, the first thing that attracts us to another person, typically, is looks. They're a looker. They're, they're attractive to you on the basis of looks. And that basis of looks, then, is what brings you into a relationship where you can form an attraction to their personality, an attraction to who they are as an individual. That's just typically, biologically, how it works, okay? And that's how it's working for Jacob. He's had some time to get to know Rachel, but his initial draw to Rachel is that she's beautiful. And that's what the scriptures tell us. They're not afraid to tell us that Rachel is beautiful in form. She's lovely, that, that Leah, her sister, is not so much. There is such a thing as objective beauty. This idea that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I get it, I understand it, but truth is... 
There is beautiful and there is not beautiful. And Jacob finds Rachel lovely. Jacob loves Rachel because she is beautiful. I hope she has a good personality. And Laban says, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. So stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. And this is probably one of the most beautiful, one of the most romantic scripture verses in all the Bible, besides maybe Song of Solomon. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Can you imagine working seven years to marry your wife? Men here. You know, we have that tradition in our day and age. It's still there. Um, Maybe it's fading. Where we ask the bride's father, right? We ask our our significant other's father. We ask her, can I have your daughter's hand in marriage? Um, Would you be so kind? Maybe maybe in today's age, that's patriarchal. Like, uh, your daughter belongs to the father, right? And the father has to give permission to give him away. but, But I think it's a wonderful thing. I, would, I want to know if, if you approve of me asking your daughter's hand in marriage. Imagine if your wife's dad had said yes, but you had to work for me for seven years. You had to work for me for seven years. See, this is what's different about Jacob's story than about Abraham's servant going and finding Rebecca, Right? Because when Abraham's servant went and found Rebekah, Abraham's servant was given all kinds of gold, all kinds of money, all kinds of a dowry, right? A, 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 a bridal price. Uh, he was given all this thing. And so he gave that to Abraham's family in exchange for Rebekah's hand in marriage to Isaac. But Jacob, he ran away from home, scared and afraid with nothing. He had to sleep on a stone out in the middle of nowhere. He has nothing to give All he has to give is his service. And because he loves Rachel so much, he is more than willing to serve his uncle seven years. And because he loves her so much, it's like a blink of an eye. Many of us, we struggle to do work because of the toil and the burden. Imagine this kind of attitude towards work. It says, it's all worth it. There's one more day closer to my goal, to my destination, to my prize. Because I, I get the bride. And so that's what Jacob does. He works seven years. But at the end of the seven years, Jacob says, hey, what's the deal? Give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to be with her. And so Laban brought together all the people of the place, gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. I mean, that's got to be one of the funniest lines. That's almost like Aaron, you know, later on in in Exodus when he's like, people gave me the gold and then just, bam, wow, there was a cow. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that's how it happened, Aaron. 
Um, <laughs> there was Leah. Now, I will tell you that uh, a marriage celebration is a time to enjoy oneself. It's a time to, uh, to have fun and to get together as a family and enjoy one another's company. Um, and I don't have, uh, in principle, anything wrong with having a, a bar, a wet marriage, or a wet wedding ceremony, right, um, at, at a wedding. But if there's any biblical argument for having a dry wedding, it would be this instance right here, okay? Because some people just like to say, well, you know, some people really try to explain this way by saying, well, you know, they didn't have uh, lights back then or anything like that. So Jacob just, he, you know, he probably didn't realize that it was Leah. Let me tell you what went on. They had a party, and Jacob was, his heart was merry, okay? And because his heart was merry, his uncle Laban took advantage of that. His uncle Laban probably dressed his daughter Leah up the way he... Rachel dresses. He probably um, put the same perfume on Leah that Rachel wore. Almost maybe like the way Jacob deceived his dad. And sends Leah into the room to lie with Jacob. To consummate the marriage. And my personal opinion is if Jacob hadn't been inebriated in some way, he probably wouldn't have woke up the next morning and said, there was Leah! <laughs> Awkward. But that's what happened. Because God is teaching Jacob something. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. You want to be a deceiver? You want to be a trickster? Well, guess what? You get tricked. It comes around. And that's what happened here in this moment. And so Jacob, he goes to Laban, and he's so offended. What is this that you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? And maybe... Maybe in that moment, Jacob got a little taste of his own medicine. Maybe he for a moment thought to himself, maybe this is how my dad felt. Maybe this is how my brother Edom felt. Esau. The way I'm feeling right now. And you know what? I don't like it. And Laban probably gives one of the lamest excuses I've ever heard. Well, it's uh, not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. So, uh, I mean, I would have believed it more if he said, Oops, I thought that was Rachel. My bad. So he tells Jacob, Finish this daughter's bridal week. By the way, they used to have weddings that went on for a week. Can you imagine that? A week-long weddings. We should bring those back. Never mind, I have three daughters. <laughs> then we'll give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. This is Laban, who is himself a businessman. He is himself someone who is 
trickster. And he thinks to himself, you know, I love both of my daughters, but Leah, she's kind of ugly. <laughs> it's going to be hard to get rid of her. And what he does is he takes advantage of Jacob's love for his daughter Rachel. And not only does he, is he able to find a husband that will provide for his daughter Leah, that will uh, watch after her and care for her, but he finds a way to get seven more years of work from Jacob. And Jacob is probably a good worker. And Laban is getting 14 years of hard labor from Jacob. And Jacob did so. So he finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. And Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. And Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Now, actually, you could probably give a lot of biblical arguments for the reason why you shouldn't have more than one wife. <laughs> Although that's something that God allows. Um, in the Old Testament, it was not God's original intention. We see that in the beginning of Genesis, right? A man and woman shall be together, and a man shall leave his father's house and cling to his wife, right? And the two shall become one, not the three shall become one, or the four shall become one, or the five shall become one. But if you needed a really good biblical argument for the reason why you shouldn't have two wives, especially if they're sisters, <laughs> this story would be a good example of, of that reason. You know that trouble is brewing. One at the end of this passage, you hear, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. This will not be the last time that Jacob will be deceived. This is a time of hardship for him. A time of learning lessons in the school of hard knocks. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, is that little seed of faith that we saw when Jacob made that vow to God, as imperfect as it might have been, that he committed to God, if God would be faithful to him, that his, he would be that God would be his God and that he would give to God out of his abundance. Is that seed being grown in these circumstances, in this situation? Because the reality is hardship that comes for us all. Hardship is a reality of life. We cannot escape it. The question is, what do we do with it? And how are we to understand it? How are we to interpret it? How are we to uh, grasp what His purpose is in our lives? 
The scripture tells us that discipline is uh, for a reason. That the reason why difficult things happen in our lives often is not because of some secret sin. Um, It's not because um, God enjoys seeing us struggle and uh, go through difficulties. It's entertaining to Him. Uh, But the reason why uh, we experience hardship in in our lives is so that we might learn by it to rely less upon ourselves and more upon God's grace. In in Hebrews chapter 12, we're told by the author of the book of Hebrews why this hardship or discipline happens in our lives. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons, as children of God. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. That's a quotation from Proverbs chapter 3. And this is what the author of the book of Hebrews says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our father disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. What's he saying? He's saying, if God is bringing you through hardship, Let that hardship do its work on you and purifying you and deepening and strengthening and watering that seed of faith that's in you and reminding you that the things in this world are so fleeting, but the things of God remain steadfast. If you're experiencing hardship, Then consider this fact, that the Son of God, the only sinless person to have ever walked this world and this earth, also experienced hardship. He learned obedience and was perfected by it. Hebrews chapter 12 comes after that great hall of faith where all these people of the past are spoken of because they clung to the faith, because they did not let go. Verse 21 of Hebrews 11 says, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff at the end of Jacob's days. He understood what it meant to be God's people. 
to be in covenant with God and to know God. So in all our difficulty, in all our trials, in all our hardships, the way that it grows us in grace is if we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If the culmination of Christ's hardship and difficulty in life was his glorification and his exaltation at the right hand of God, then because we are in him, so is the culmination of our hardship and difficulty in life. You see, God uses hardship in our lives to teach us to rely more on his grace for us in Jesus Christ. Um, If the meatloaf song, I Would Do Anything for Love, was a song about God's love for us in Christ Jesus, there wouldn't be that part, but I won't do that. Because Christ did do that. He went to death on the cross. A criminal's death. On a tree. To show us the depth, the width, the extent of God's love for us, his chosen people. What hardship are we willing to endure that we may be conformed to the image of our Savior Jesus Christ. May our answer be whatever is necessary, Lord. Whatever teaches us to rely more, not on ourselves, but on your grace. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would know that we belong to Jesus. And because we belong to Jesus, You are using hardship in our lives to show us that we really are your children and to teach us how to endure hardship in a way that bursts forth in our glorification and exaltation in Jesus Christ. May we fix our eyes on him. May we learn, just as Jacob learned in his life, that the things that we go through are purposeful and meaningful. Because you're using them. You're using them to shave away all that is unbelieving and sinful in us and to conform us more and more to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, the perfect image of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.